Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's doing a remarkably obtuse podcast introduction to Crowbar, Julia Roberts' films into the start of the show? Of course it's me, but I love trouble. It's not like we needed something to talk about after this week. Just the six goals across two games for Erling Haaland in two important Manchester City wins. He's the player that everyone says I love you to at the moment. And he'd definitely make a grand champion if he can fire City to the title come the end of the season. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, where there's a real sense of satisfaction after the victories over Crystal Palace and Leipzig. Two different performances, but City let neither side off the hook, and they kept the heat on Arsenal and made it into the next round of the Champions League with ease, so we'll discuss those games shortly. Burnley come to the Etihad in the FA Cup, and it's City legend Vincent Company who's sleeping with the enemy, taking charge of the Clarets and flying high with them at the top of the Championship. They're closer to the Premier League than anyone else, so we'll hear from Burnley fan Kevin Robinson about their season so far. We'll also talk about the pressures of a title race. We're all probably one step nearer to dying young, with how nervy many of the recent title run-ins have been. So what do you do to avoid watching rivals' games? Me and one of today's guests once went to my best friend's wedding to hide from the scores. We'll talk about other distractions later on as well. I'm David Mooney. I've got two City fans with me this week. Time to tell them who you are. We've got Kieran Murray. Hello. <laughs> and Joe Butterfield. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't imagine how much time you spent on Wikipedia trying to get all these into the, uh, into the introduction. He spent Far. over an hour, Joe. We tackled me last night. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him try to tell you anything else. He spent over an hour. Far, far <laughs> too long. I mean, some say it's impossible to get Julia Roberts' puns into a City podcast. I say bring it on. There's 13 of them in that introduction. <laughs> Ocean's 13. Yeah, no, well, I don't know. I, one, is that a film? Two, was she in it? I don't know. I, no, I don't know either. Julia Roberts, right, is in Ocean's 12. And at one point pretends to be Julia Roberts playing as her character Tess. Like, if that didn't make any sense, that is because <laughs> oh, oh, it made absolutely no sense to me watching it. Um, in order to kind of like get round the bad guys or whatever, they, they say to Julia Roberts' character Tess, you do look a bit like Julia Roberts. And then <laughs> the character pretends to be the real life actress. It was It was like all sorts of dimensions were broken down and fried my head. <laughs> God, I haven't seen that. I mean, I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven either, so... Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, I, uh, I can't comment on that. Um, let's talk about the football, shall we? Because uh, plenty to cram in on this week's show rather than uh, rather than some rom-coms from uh, well, the Knights and Norses. if you the Julia Roberts stuff with Pep, you'd be really wondering why you've started this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And the, the best thing is we are not, we're not really going to talk about it proper till the end of the show, so I'm going to leave everybody, just, everybody that's missed it just wondering what on earth we're talking about. Um, I want to start with uh, with Erling Haaland, though, because, uh, I mean, Joe, have a listen to this. Uh, 39 goals in 36 games, beating Tommy Johnson's 38 in all competitions from uh, 1929. Um, he's already City's 22nd all-time leading scorer. 
Um, he's the first City player to reach double figures in a single Champions League campaign. That came from uh, Stat City. Uh, and he's also now scored 1.9% of all of City's goals in the Premier League and Champions League history. That's from uh, Duncan Alexander. Um, that's just mad, isn't it? That's Yeah, that 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 1.9% stat is just pretty ridiculous. Um, I think it's, for me, what I find the most sort of, the maddest thing about his stats is that he's breaking stats that have existed since like the 1920s and the 1930s, where usually you look back at, you know, top scorers from pre pre the war and you just think well you know people are suddenly scoring like 70 goals a season and stuff like that and you just think that Harlan's like at, at the level where he is coming in ahead of those kind of stats which is always when you it's 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 crazy I mean obviously we saw him we saw him do it for Salzburg and, and Dortmund but you know there's I think it's become a bit of a joke now the idea that people were saying that there was a Bundesliga tax on him before he came to uh, to Manchester City and that he might not you know the Premier League might not be so easy for him, but it turns out that the Premier League is uh, is very much just as easy for him as as the Austrian league and the Bundesliga was. He's just he's just he's just a machine when it comes to scoring. There's not really any way to put it. Yeah, Kieran. Some might say Prem suited to you, pal. <laughs> some might say that did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what a reference. <laughs> Is that some sort of Julia Roberts B movie? I, I I hope. I mean, can you imagine if she was in some sort of uh, reference to to that tweet from about Mangala from years ago? Come full circle there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as Joe says, Kieran, it's like uh, when you look back. I mean, Tommy Johnson's thirty eight in all competitions in nineteen twenty nine. Um, like that that year, that was when All Quiet on the Western Front was published as a book, and that came out as a film last year. And it's like there's so many little kind of quirks like that. I mean, obviously the Wall Street Wall Street crash happened in 1929. The banking crisis, where you know might be headed headfirst into one of those again. But it's yeah. like there's so many like weird parallels between that and that time. The only difference is, like generally, we're not all walking around in top hat and like curly moustache and like everyone's mm-hmm. wearing a cravat sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like that's the image I have of the late 1920s. Yeah, yeah. Um... It is. He's achieving feats. I mean, those stats that you read out, I was just shaking my head the whole time. Uh, it is it, it is unreal. Um, I, every single time I see him in a city shirt, I kind of like almost do a double take or almost like check myself and go, I can't believe he's really playing for us. Um, mm. it's, it's such a joy having him at the club um, and to see how well he's doing for the club and how much it means to him and how much he loves it. Um, and then for him to defy the odds and to f- defy all the the history books and the stats like that, um, and though you're right, like those those records have been stood for so long because it was a different era, it was a different time for football, and you know rules and and pitches and uh, like uh, sponsorship and audience and you know I mean it's just a myriad of things that are so so different from then, and and he's just making it look easy. Uh, going back to the basics of yeah of football from a hundred years ago and just popping it in the net at the end at the end of the day and it's just yeah it's it's such an honor and a privilege to watch him it's incredible. I'm you know it it took me back a second though when you said uh, from nearly a hundred years ago because it, it like I thought 1929 is not nearly a hundred years ago we've only just well, turned I keep, the, I keep we, doing we, this. we've only just yeah. had the turn of the century What's, what are you <laughs> yeah. talking about yeah. Yeah. yeah did um did 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 the offside rule exist in the 1920s like was it is that 
Is that pre-offside rule? I, I don't know. There's, I, I know. I, I had a look for when the first floodlit football match was, and that, and that was like thirty years after uh, Tommy Johnson. So like, that's like, that's been smashed long and uh, good and proper. Um, yeah. but I don't know about the offside rule. No, because if he's managed to if he's managed to break a record that stands pre-offside rule, then that is really something else. Yeah. How old is the offside yeah. rule? Yeah, there's no chance it came in in 1863. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Joe, the, the, the other remarkable thing of uh, certainly the Leipzig game is, uh, like, he scored five goals, but, like, zero assists were made to him in that game, which just goes to show, like, he's in the right place at the right time all the time. Mm, yeah, like, looking at all the goals, like, you, you would expect at least one of them to be a real sort of like, wow, what a goal kind of moment. Um, but I mean, honestly, the, all the, sec- just... the second one was quite like that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there, is a, there is a bit of that. But yeah, I think it's, um, you know, mo- like all but one of the goals was kind of just like, you know, he's just in the box. The ball just bounces around the box and all of a sudden it's just landed at his feet and he's just smashed it into the net. It's like, the, it's 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 the perfect kind of play from, from a striker who... Obviously, you know, everyone knows that Haaland is the guy who you have to look out for for City, but he still somehow manages to get himself away from defenders and like into space where he can get an uncontested shot away in, in, in a game like this. And I think it just says, you know, a, a lot of strikers can be. And and to be fair, maybe we have seen a bit of this from Haaland all season long uh, in the season where maybe he's had games where he's had very few touches and then ended up not scoring. And then afterwards, it's very easy to say that he's not really been involved at all in the play. But for a lot of strikers, it can be a case of, or a lot of teams that depend on one top-scoring striker, it could be a case of, oh, well, just 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 snuff him out, and then the game's over. But I think it's very difficult to snuff Erling Haaland out for, for for obvious reasons. I think he's you know he's someone whose his movement in the box is so unlike anything that I've seen ever really. And then obviously his physicality on top of that, where even if you do manage to sort of get close to him, get to touch tight to him. There's every chance that it'll just beat you for strength anyway, and obviously he's so tall that he can beat you aerially. It's just he must be he must be an absolute nightmare for centre backs to have to try and deal with. But I think yeah, the fact that he manages to get so many goals away in that in that one game where he's almost not had to move and just let the ball come to him, that just yeah that that just says everything about about his positioning. Like you say, it's just it's just right place, right time. Yeah, and Kieran, that second goal. Um, I mean, I, I have to. I, I really do have to uh, break Sam Lee's little heart on this one because he was marvelling in the uh, Let Me Talk podcast we did straight after the game at how mm. Harland had got back onside for it, uh, but a centre half had dropped next to the goalkeeper, so he was always onside. All oh, right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, but Shit. like he, he did, he was charging around like a madman, and that moment, I like, I can't express the moment of joy I had when I saw the ball was coming back off the crossbar and he was already on the way up because I was like, he's like yeah. he's going to meet this and the keeper's not going to get up in time. Yeah, I wasn't at the game, but watching that back and hearing the crowd, uh, I just love that crowd noise of anticipation because there was the big cheer where they thought De Bruyne nearly scored um, and the kind of like, oh, when it hit the bar and then the cheers starts to ramp up again as soon as you realise that it's coming to Haaland because that's going in the net. Um, and it sounded so electric at the ground. I was I was gutted it didn't go in the end. Um, it's just he's it, incredible. And after the game, he said he said a, quite a few interesting things in the interviews after. Um, and he was quite opinionated about the way City should play. I don't know if you caught that. Um, he said, in my opinion, we should press like that all the time. Um, mm. And it it seemed a bit it seemed a bit like a, a slightly barbed kind of message to Pep. 
Um, but when you look at how how well he pressed in that goal, it was just I. There's nothing more pleasurable than uh, Haaland running at full tilt. It used to be um, Vincent Company scoring for City and then walking back, to, uh, <laughs> walking back to the, 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 the scally walk. Game, go to game. Yeah, yeah, the scally walk exactly. Uh, so now it's. Um, now it's Haaland just running um, at full speed, and it's absolutely wonderful to see. Can so you imagine that running really nice. I just I know. Goodness <laughs> me. Goodness me. Um, and then Akanji did dead well to get it back. Uh, De Bruyne's effort was, was amazing. And then Haaland just like... It, it's funny when you watch one of the replays, it looks like Haaland's going to get in the way of De Bruyne's shot. So for him to be in the right place at the right time, all the time, Sometimes he looks like such a lummox, and you know, as if he's <laughs> as if he's in the wrong place, or as if he's gonna fall over himself. Um, he is the most like paradoxical player you've ever seen, um, where he looks awkward and clumsy and sort of too tall for his own body, but um, he's got just the grace and speed and dexterity of something that we've never ever seen before. It's absolutely mental, like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that second goal was was my favorite of the night for sure. Yeah, Lummox, great word, love it. Yeah, I think I, I know. I know he's, uh, if he's if he's sort of said that he wants City to play like that a bit more often, I could totally understand why from his point of view. If he hadn't just scored five goals in the game, he'd be all about us like doing that every week. But I think the way that and we might get onto this a bit more when we come to talk about the Leipzig game in a bit more detail. But I think he in particular was helped a lot by the way Leipzig play, where it was basically all it was. A, it was a game like we saw. Um, was it last season when we had a six-three game against them in the group stage? I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically just a game, as a basketball game, basically, in a game of transitions. And I think that's just the way Leipzig play. And obviously for us, who are a high-pressing, high-line kind of team, and we have a, someone with with Haaland's pace going the other way, but Leipzig ultimately won't change what they're doing. in, in, in st- Like, that's obviously completely different to us playing against, a, you know, a, a Crystal Palace low block, you know, nine times out of ten. Yeah. I think that it's... But he, his, his post-match interviews, I don't know if either of you saw the post-match interview he did with... Is it CBS that yeah, that yeah. with Carragher, Henry and Carragher, yeah, Omri, yeah, and he and he basically like he was asked about the goals he scored and all he was talking about was the the chances that he missed and how he could have had yeah. more and just think, oh my god, like what is like he's not he's not satisfied, like what what's going on here? And I think it's just that that mentality that is just the, exactly why he never sort of you know, five goals in a game isn't enough for him. He was coming off wondering why he didn't have seven or eight, and it's just like wow, like how can you how can you how can that be your attitude after having just almost broke a record for Champions League goals in a single game? Yeah, give yourself give yourself a break, mate. Come on, it's like you've done you've done all right. Here. Um, well, you you mentioned the possibility of uh, breaking that record, Joe. Uh, he, he said after the game to to BT that he would have like he, he was joking about it, but he would have loved to have stayed on to to try and get that double hat trick. Um, this is what Guardiola said when he was asked about it in the press conference afterwards. If he achieves these milestones and the records with 22, 23 years old, will be boring his life. So now I have a target to do it in the future, here and everywhere. So that's why I make a substitution. I didn't know it was with Messi, with Leo, it happened against the Leverkusen. They told me in the flash interview. But I make a substitution because normally when the game is over, I want to make play, let them play all, as much play as possible. So Kieran, nobody hates double hat-tricks more than managers. That's my theory. Oh, I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> well, we've always said that Pep sort of hates single hat tricks. Um, although you can't really stop Haaland this season, but um, the amount yeah, of times can, can, player... can you imagine him taking him off after 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, um, but the amount of times a player was on a brace and you thought, oh, there's going to be a hat trick here, and then and then Guardiola took them off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll never, for as long as I live, forgive Manuel Pellegrini for taking Aguero off when he had five against Newcastle that time. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 
because he because he was going to get a double hat trick that day. It was going to be incredible. It was it was just he was unplayable and everything he was touching was turning to goal. I had, um, I had to, I had to look at that game because of obviously with Haaland scoring five um, on uh, Tuesday night, I, w- I was just like, well, I, I want to I want to see if Haaland's five was the fastest five kind of goals in a in a game for City because uh, I can't I, I think him I think only him and Aguero have ever done it um, yeah and like Aguero scored those five goals in 20 minutes yeah yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous <laughs> yeah Newcastle had put up a good fight and it, it like before that I think maybe even in the first half I can't quite remember the timings of it but um and all of a sudden he just he just switched it on and was a man possessed um Whereas Haaland the other night, it just it just seemed like he was right place, right time. There was kind of there weren't necessarily gold mouse scrambles, but you know there were kind of like a packed box, and he would stick a foot out, and suddenly it would go in. Um, and Manuel Akanji, for some reason, was like always involved, <laughs> like was like always the last player who had bounced off or something. It was just. Uh, it was a strange game. Did you see Joan Stones? That there's a there's a, like a gift for a video of Stones pissing himself because of Kanji's missed in the six yard box, and then you just see Haaland sprinting off celebrating, but a Kanji like throws his hands down, dead annoyed. He's <laughs> yeah, not scoring. That's quite funny. And, and then Stones is bent double laughing because of Kanji's annoyed he missed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the hat trick question. I know. I think Peps. I think Peps' answer is probably right. But my whole Twitter feed was just people going, oh, Pep, you're scum taking him off. Why did you <laughs> deny us that, that site? Um, but yeah, no, I, his, his rationale was fair enough. You know, at 22 to have a double hat trick in a match, you know, you need you need some thirst and hunger still in your belly. But I mean, there's never, ever going to be a question of that running out for Haaland, I don't think. I've I've just got this image, Joe, of uh, like Haaland, like regularly, and like this is this is mildly arrogant to say, but I'm going to go with it anyway. But regularly being on five goals for City, and and Guardiola immediately like rushing through the paperwork to get that substitution in before, yeah. like for the ball for the yeah. next time the ball goes out of play. Yeah, it's going to be. A, I think I think the the main thing as well is just the idea that let's say he leaves him on the pitch and tries to get that sixth goal, and then suddenly Haaland pulls up and he's pulled his hamstring. I mean. We're all having a, we're all having an absolute riot about the fact that he didn't sub him off. Obviously, with the game being so won, I think it's um, I think it's just one of those things where it's like it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a no win situation when you're a manager because like the game's already if, if if a player has scored five goals, then surely the game is so comfortably won that that you don't need that you don't need to leave the striker on. Obviously, if you do and you get six, if if you do for another half an hour, and he doesn't get that sixth goal. It's like we've just given him another half an hour of hard running for no reason. And then um, obviously the, the potential for injuries come with it. There also is just the fact that maybe he knew that it was Messi's record, and he does love Lionel Messi, doesn't he? So maybe he wanted to maybe he wanted to keep that that record with his uh, with with Lionel for a little bit longer. Yeah, I tell you what, that's a conspiracy theory, and that's a Julia Roberts yeah. film. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's one I couldn't crowbar into that introduction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the penalties, Kieran, because obviously uh, he he scored the only goal of the game at, at Palace with a penalty. Um, Leipzig City were given a, a real helping hand with that penalty, uh, quite literally in many senses. Um, yeah. But it, there's there's a comfort, isn't there, in having a player on the pitch who you know probably going to score this because it's been a while. Okay, we're going to get a penalty against Liverpool on the first of April, and Haaland <laughs> is going to sky it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It, do you know what? When you watch the highlights again of the first goal against Leipzig, he kind of slightly scuffed it. He didn't hit it um, 
was just as much like just as clean as perhaps you know he would have liked i don't know um but it's just so unbelievably devastating and the direction of it in the corner um but like the confidence and the arrogance and the borderline cockiness of him to say that um for the palace game that he, he was already thinking about the celebration afterwards <laughs> like that is absolutely mental for um for both talent penalties this week i've like grabbed rose my girlfriend's hand and said hold me because <laughs> 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 um, i've been so nervous about it and uh and there he is like already thinking about the knee slide he's going to do and my god what a knee slide that man can do as well um another thing i noticed in the highlights is uh, after De Bruyne scored the seventh against Leipzig, it shows Haaland sitting with his uh, with his leg up on the you know on he's on the bench with his leg up kind of thing, and um, his knees are just cut to bits. They're just covered in blood and grass. <laughs> Not surprised about the knee slides yeah. he does. Yeah, <laughs> loves it, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's 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 lovely as soon as because when did Gundogan win the penalty against? Against Palace, pa- yeah. Palace, yeah. So the camera kind of hovered on Gundogan for ages, and I thought that it that did. meant he was. I thought the same thing, penalty. yeah. And I was going, "What's he doing? Where's Alan?" And then the next thing, Alan had it, and it, yeah, it was just like, "Oh, I can breathe again." Um, was held in hand. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you relax, Joe? Because seventy minutes gone, really tight game. City missed a few chances. It's the sort of game where you think, if anything's going to go wrong, this is it, isn't it? Yeah, I I personally. I still have a bit of like PTSD reaction of like, oh my god, he's not going to score this when it's like when it's a, when it's a penalty for Manchester City. Because I'm just so used to them. It seems like I don't, the the stats almost certainly do not back this up, but it feels like it's just fifty fifty with City penalties pre Haaland, whether they even go in or not. Um, but I think we're at the stage now where he's had is it five he's had this season, and he's just and he's scored all five of them, so he's not given us a reason to to, to doubt him yet, really. But I'm still you know until he joins the ever-growing pantheon of City players who will miss important penalties. I'm going to just, I'm, I think I'm going to have to just accept that he's he's almost certainly going to score when he steps up most of the time. But yeah. it seems strange. Cause it, was, it, was it the Villa game that we had where Mares, like Haaland was on the pitch and Mares still got up, still took the penalty regardless. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Rodri so wanted that as well, if I can remember. Yeah, there was a bit of a, because I remember afterwards in the, in the um, post-match, they were sort of doing a bit of, because there'd been almost a bit of a debate about who was going to take the penalty, wasn't there? And they're a bit like, oh, I don't like seeing that the City players are like this. And I, to be fair, I'm kind of in agreement. Like, I, I think it should just be a case of if Haaland's on the pitch, it, it doesn't matter whether Mares feels he's particularly up to it today and he's particularly on his game. Like, if Haaland's on the pitch, he, he is the penalty taker. Like, just just let him do it. And I think I, I like that he's got the... It's a bit like of a Tevez, Jamie Vardy-esque method of I'm just going to put my head down. I'm picking a corner. I'm picking a side, and I'm just going to whack it. And then, even if the keeper goes the right way, which he did for Leipzig, it yeah. doesn't matter because the ball's already passed him by the time he gets down. So I think that's just—it's just a very, you know, placing a penalty can be really good when it goes in, but placing a penalty can be really bad when a keeper dives the right way and there's not enough power in it to get past him. Whereas I think Harland, if he just picks a side and just whacks it as hard as he can, mm-hmm. then 99 times out of 100, that is going to go in if he gets it on target. Yeah, he did that against Forrest, I think, as well. And the, the, the keeper against Forrest just kind of looked at it and went, well, I ain't getting that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just let that one in. 
You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's talk about the defence, Kieran, because um, very quietly, City have had four clean sheets in a row for the first time this season now. Um, so I'm wondering if the if the defensive issues that they might have had earlier in the season are starting to be uh, ironed out a bit. Um, yes, and that would be that would be greatly to my satisfaction if that was going to happen because, I mean, it clearly seems that we're all right in the uh, attacking department and our midfield's always been incredible. And it just seems that the defence and the keeper included in that has been quite shaky this season. And you've always thought that we might leak one or two, Um, especially when it's kind of the amount of teams who've scored against us on their only attack um, or they're only shot on target. So I think Everton, Forest, um, maybe Villa away scored from you know one of their only um, one of their only kind of moves forward. So it, it it's incredible, yeah. Um, I still don't know if I trust a Kanji, um, I, I, but I think he sort of is the easy target sort of scapegoat this year. Um, he's not done an awful lot of wrong that kind of has you know has led to a goal conceded. Um, but he does sort of just not fill you full of confidence the way the others do. Um, but four clean sheets in a row, I don't think it's any coincidence that Ruben Diaz has come back into the back four um, and come back so strong. He, he's he's really, really playing out of his skin, and it reminds you so much of his first season again. Um, he's just he, he's just brilliant. Um, that aggressive kind of leadership quality style defending, Nathan Ake, the... the the calm, cool-headed, doing everything right kind of defending, and then John Stones coming back in and marshalling things, um, breaking the lines, moving forward uh, into midfield. It's it's crazy to think that Pep's kind of um, so much of the you know the greatness of Pep. When you think about how his first season, the fullbacks were just aging and slow and 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 not up to it, and then the injection of cash and the injection of pace. Uh, following that and we were just like unstoppable really with the fullbacks and how he played them and then the other night he's playing it doesn't even bother playing him at all yeah yeah, (laughs) it's just four centre backs Um, and just uh, like is this the end of the fullback as we know it under Guardiola because like the Cancelo stuff has been so mad the fact that we let go of Zinchenko was mental. The fact that we just seem allergic to buying a lap, uh, laptop, uh, buying a, a left back, um, the Walker stuff. You know, you don't know what's kind of going on with him at the moment. Uh, is it a punishment? Is he out of form? Is it just, uh, is it just a, a kind of personnel thing where others are doing better? But um, four centre backs and them all kind of playing all over the pitch, really in different roles. It's just. It's it's great to see. It's really like um, 
it's not something you were expecting, and I, I think a few people were were uh, annoyed and disappointed and a bit flummoxed by the lineup when it was announced the other night. But um, clean sheets, clean sheets, and with Holland up front, I mean, like it's a recipe for success, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, have a listen to this. This was uh, Guardiola talking about the uh, back four from after the Leipzig game. The problem is that we concede the stupid goals in the past. We give them. Most of the cases, we give them. And in this competition, and one of the reasons why, for the build-up, for many things, but to play the four central defenders in that way, that doesn't mean you are a defender team. But still, the people is difficult to understand. You know, when you put it some line up and say, no, it's going to play in that way. Tell me how the opponent to play, and I will tell you how we're going to play. And I know my my team, but they are so solid. So Nathan is so focused. Ninety minutes, they are stable here. Ruben, Manu, they are so stable here. It doesn't matter what happened there. They're John as well. And 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 that we need in these competitions because today the chances we had we give them. So with Eddie, with some process, we have to be careful of that. We have to do it, but we have to be careful. We'll come back to Edison in a second, but uh, like it, it seems to kind of back up what Kieran's saying there. In that it was a, that it wasn't it wasn't an accident that City have kind of in the position they're in with with the fullbacks right now. I guess. Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, we all, I almost think, so obviously Ake's been talked about as one of the four centre-backs that are being played, but I almost don't consider Ake a centre-back anymore personally because I think based on the last sort of 12 to 18 months of how Pepper's used him, I think it's he's only really being played to left. But obviously, you know, obviously he's still a centre-back like naturally as, as he's been for most of his career. But I think his City career has probably more been defined by his ability as a left-back than a centre-back. Um, but I think... Kieran's probably spot on in the sense of like you know are we seeing the 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 disappearance of a fullback in like a Pep Guardiola system? I think we probably are. I mean, if you look at so Cancelo's gone out the door, and we've not really had a single serious link to an actual traditional left back for the transfer window coming up. I mean, last season we were linked to Kukurea, and I think it's looking at how he's being used for Chelsea you could argue that he's maybe more of like a left center back in a back 3 than he is an actual proper full back um we're not really being linked with you know your your, your Teo Hernandez's or or Jose Gaias and you know the, these kind of players who are like you know your your actual bomb up and down the wing kind of full backs like Walker does on the opposite side so if anything the only play, the only real fullback we're being linked with is, is Gvardiol, who's basically a centre-back who plays out there a lot of the time. So maybe this just kind of... It seems perfect look, for Guardiola, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's 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 why I think that he's probably the most sort of realistic target that we probably do have in the summer. Because I think that's just the way that Guardiola's turning his team. And I think if you look at on the other side, where Walker's probably played less minutes than, than Lewis has since the turn of 2023... I think this is just where Guardiola's going. I don't think he's. I don't think he's putting too much stock in the idea of having a, a fullbacks that bomb up and down anymore. I don't know if that's just because of the lack of, because they're so few and far between at the moment, without having to spend like 70, 80 million on each of them, or if it's just a case of he's just. Done, this is just a tactical evolution of what Guardiola wants to do. But um, yeah, I think we could probably be looking at you know probably seeing seeing four center backs on the pitch quite a lot to be honest over the next year or two if this is if this is the way that it's going to progress and obviously we all we all know that it doesn't actually play out like four center backs on the pitch when it happens but it can still be very jarring when you look at a lineup and you think right i want to see timo verner's on the pitch i want to see walker there so you can count so you can sort of shut down that that pacey counter-attack and then you see that John Stones is playing right back and you're like ooh this doesn't uh, this might not fill me with the most confidence in the world but yeah it seems to be working like you can't really argue with four clean sheets in a row 
Um, because yeah, I think I, I did. Um, it's an article. I'm, I'm going to shamelessly plug something that I've written for City Extra that hopefully should be going out at the same day as this. Um, Sorry, right, I'll edit podcast, it out. But but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yes, I, I had a look at the, the defensive side of things and. We've, they've conceded 25 league goals so far this season. And last season, we conceded 26 in the whole season. So I think I think maybe I think maybe sort of doubling down on, on the, the solid defenders is probably where we want to be at the moment with Guardiola. And maybe that's probably Guardiola's logic in terms of changing things up to, to not worry so much about having fullbacks who can join the attack and more worried about having extra legs, extra bodies on the pitch who can contribute defensively. Because I think, as he says in the clip there, I mean, that's it's 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 we've we've given up some really stupid goals this season, and um, yeah, we, we'll 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 come on to Edison, I'm sure. But I think there's, there's all all five at the back have been to blame for that at some point over the over the season. Yeah, I love the idea that uh, Pellegrini came in in uh, well about ten years ago and uh, came in and went right. We are playing four four two, and he had everybody in the rigid position. And now you know, ten years on, we've got Guardiola going. Nobody has a position anymore. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> it just like it just doesn't add up. I, I also wonder, like the like we talked about the nineteen twenties team earlier. That that was an era when they used to play two three five as a formation. And we all look at back and look back at that and go, God, that that must have been mad. Can you imagine how how blown their minds must be by uh, if they could have a chance to see what Guardiola's doing with all these, uh, with these players um, yeah, but this so- is incredible this is the really interesting thing about Guardiola like every season at the moment seems kind of transitional um, when you think of like maybe the struggles that Liverpool are having I, I think they'll still get top four but um, when personnel leave uh, Liverpool feel a bit stuck and you know Klopp's philosophy and the ethos that he's tried to instill it seems like it's coming to the end of a phase now, but you couldn't say that about Guardiola because he's just constantly, constantly evolving, and it doesn't matter the personnel that leave. And when you think about the massive, massive names and players that we've lost, or players who were crucial to our, our play, like Cancelo this season, like he's just adapted and just moved, and it, it's a constant, constant thought process of how can I work with what I want, what what I want to achieve, who I've got. Uh, and what the opposition are doing and he just never ever like sits on his hands and kind of uh, and watches and waits it's always constantly evolution and always constantly thinking and and problem solving and it's just it's really thrilling to watch and be a part of as he as he grows sometimes people say it's a bit dull but i love seeing how he, he figures out um you know and scratches that old bald dome of his <laughs> <laughs> yeah um joe let's i mean we mentioned edison um uh, thoughts on his performance there. I mean, there's one moment in particular that stands out against Leipzig. So uh, what what do you make of how he's doing this season at the minute? So I think with Edison's always really difficult because I think the way we play football um, and certainly the way that a lot of our games where we drop points go, it always feels like it's like the opposition's one shot on target that goes in. And that is is in many ways unfair to Edison because that's not really... If we if we give up a, if we give up one opportunity, it's probably a counter attack, and it's probably a counter attack that has led to either a one on one or some kind of ball that's gone across the box that leads to just a tapping at the back post or something. However, there have been a lot of goals we've conceded this season where I've just looked at it and I've just gone, Edison, man, are you are you even trying to save that? Like, I'm I'm not someone who plays in as a goalkeeper, so maybe uh, maybe maybe David, you could probably uh, have a bit more of an opinion on this than me. But I just watch some of the goals and I just think you you've almost 
you've almost not tried. Like you've almost sort of accepted that this has gone in as soon as it's been hit. I think there's a couple where he's either not dived at full stretch or it's not been. It, I don't know. It's just really maybe it's just how he does it, but it's just it can it can look aesthetically as if he's not really he's not done as best as he can. And maybe that's maybe that's unfair because of like I say because when it when it's when it always feels like in the games where we we drop points that it is kind of one shot, one goal for the opposition, even though the stats will will not usually back that up, then it can feel like the goalkeeper is the easy person to point to and go, right, you're the problem then. But I think it is honestly just a case of the, the sort of the high the high percentage chances that we generally give up. Because obviously if we're playing a high line, if someone's got pace going the other way, then it's it, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science to put together that that probably is going to be an easier chance to concede than just like a corner or something like that. But on the, um, on the Leipzig, the, the moment the for moment, Leipzig yeah. where he sort of comes barreling out of his net and just does well not to slice someone in half. Um, I really think that that's just it. How he, how he wasn't given a red card. I'm not complaining about any of this, mind you, but how he wasn't given a red card for that is absolutely beyond me because he's clearly not in control as he flies through the air, studs first at a Leipzig player. And, you know, the, if you watch the replay in the slow motion, the Leipzig player sees it coming and, sort of slows down out of necessity of not wanting to be clattered by his studs. And um, if he doesn't do that, then, you know, it, it could be conceivably a lot worse than it actually turns out to be. Um, so I'm not sure how they've, well, but I'm not sure how they've looked at the contact that he does make and still comes to the conclusion that it's not, a, that it's anything but, a, I, I, again, I'm not complaining, but for me, if the Leipzig keeper does that, I am, I, I am raging sat at home seeing how he's not been sent off. Well, let me let me offer a potential explanation, Kieran, um, because he hasn't connected with his studs, so maybe it's not excessive force. It's clearly not denial of a goal scoring opportunity because you know that if if he wasn't there, there'd be defenders around and he's going wide. So maybe a foul and a yellow card. Yeah, um, was the foul given the other way? It wasn't given at all. Yeah. I think I think it was a city throw in, wasn't it? It was. Oh, um, right. I think. I, yeah, I think somebody got somebody got booked. I think it was Werner got booked for complaining to the referee about it, but I don't think anything was actually given at the time. Right. But a booking. Right. A booking went the other way just for moaning about the fact that it wasn't. Oh, okay. It wasn't given basically. Yeah. Um. I, I. I mean, I thought it was reckless, and a few people online were saying that they thought he got the ball, but. It's, it's I mean, interesting I, I, that you say reckless because I think Ian Dark on the BT commentary said reckless as well, and reckless yeah. is actually in the laws of the game as a yellow card. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, again, I, I was sort of surprised he didn't get booked. Uh, Joe's thinking it, it, it maybe warranted a red, but um, because because the goal scoring opportunity wasn't denied and things like that, then it it kind of I, I think that alleviates that a little bit, but. Um, I'm sort of fed up of Ederson like acting. Um, see, I, maybe I don't mean. Yeah, it like, why, like, I, a, I know, I know what you mean. Because uh, why are you there? Like the situation yeah, under control. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think there's. I don't think his action or his intent or his um the challenge in itself was unbelievably reckless. But the decision making and the rationale and the the reason why he's there is just that's reckless and that's always been part of Ederson's charm and. You know, there's been times I remember against Wolves a few seasons ago where he was like basically in the center circle, like passing it around because he'd come so far out of his net. Um, but something seems to have just lost in that way. He used to meet every ball and 
you know, there'd be times he'd run out that he would head it into the stands and things like that because he, he got there first. But I don't know whether he's just slowed up a little bit or whether he's just he's got a bit bored. Um, his form's dipping. He's a bit, I don't know, he's a bit aware of Ortega or, or what. I, I'm not sure. But I, I still love him and I still know, as exactly as Joe said, he's like completely crucial and integral to integral sorry to the way we play but um i'm fed up of him just making reckless silly decisions that are sooner or later going to lead to big problems yeah well a couple of other players i want to touch on before we uh, move on and we're absolutely overrunning by an absolute mile here so let's yeah. uh, let, let's crack in um the bruyne joe is uh, i mean if there were question marks over his form ahead of this game he's gone okay i'm i'm not done yet hasn't he Oh yeah, yeah. I think he he himself was saying that you know he's 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 getting a bit older, isn't he? And he maybe he's noticing he's noticing that maybe his legs aren't aren't doing. It's it's just been a long season because of the World Cup and everything like that. But I think he's probably feeling it a bit more this season than he has in previous ones. But yeah, it's it the way with City it is is always if De Bruyne is on form, then the team is on form. And when you have a game like this where it's it's like we said before about Leipzig's sort of style of play, if it if it turns into a game where it's all about transitions and like going from both teams sort of going from defence to attack and having it be a bit more like a basketball game, then De Bruyne absolutely thrives on that. So, yeah, him him being able to shine in a game like this is obviously always going to mean that City play really well. And I think, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was it, 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 it was, it was back to his best. And he was unfortunate not to score before the one he got at the end, but I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did get his goal in the end. Deserve that, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Kieran, have a listen to this as well. This is uh, Guardiola speaking after the game um, about Bernardo Silva. We had just something in the first game, like we struggled to contact the central defender with the fullbacks, they drop us. To be Bernardo, Jack defend that pass incredibly well. That's why Raum and uh, Fredericks could not contact and drop us. You have to close that pass, and Bernardo is fucking intuitive. It's, it, we play Bernardo because with the left side for, for from Leipzig, it's amazing with Guardiola and Raum. He has the ability to make an incredible dab. And Bernardo had the ability to know exactly press three players in two movements. There's no one playing the world can do that. No one. It's not the physicality. It's, it's, it's so intelligent. And that's why he played. So, I mean, how much of the overall performance then, as much as it was, as Joe says, a basketball game, Leipzig were open and, and played into the sort of thing that City wanted them to do. Um, but how much of it of the control that City had over that was because of Bernardo Silva? A huge amount. He's my favourite player. He has been for a couple of seasons now. He's absolutely incredible. He's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I I know one of these seasons, one of these transfer windows, he is going to go because it just seems to be you know where his head's at, and 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 he he sees his time as kind of coming to a, a, an end, and um, moving back to Spain, moving to Spain or whatever. But I just I don't want him to ever leave. He. He is so so good. Um, he he chases after lost causes like no player I've ever seen doing. He runs himself into the ground in every single game, especially big games. Um, he's everywhere. He can play everywhere. Um, I mean, Pep's slurring his words a little bit there by going, "He's fucking insurance." <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought yeah. he said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, but he, he is. He's just. The ball sticks to him. His nickname's Bubblegum, isn't it? Or his nickname yeah. as a kid was Bubblegum. Um, he's just—he's got everything in his locker. And but when it comes to so he, he's one of those players that I can tell Pep loves because he um, innately kind of knows when to go and when when to pause. Um, 
so he can have the ball stick to him. He can he can run about in kind of centre back roles and pick it up and then try to try to play out that way. He can play on either wing, um, and or or he can what he said about him being able to press. What did he say? Three players and two actions or something? Yeah. Um, I just hope I just hope we you know pay him whatever he wants, give him a blank check to stay. I don't think it's about money though, but um. He's so so crucial, and you know what? It's it's nice. It's it's he's not even he doesn't even play as a starter all the time. But whatever he's asked to do, whether it's from the bench or starting in whatever position, I mean, even left back this season for goodness sake, um, he he gives it as all he takes to it. And it, yeah, he's he's absolutely class. He's sheer brilliance. Yeah, get get him as much money as he wants, and if he wants, if it's the weather, we'll get him a sunbed or something. And uh, yeah. <laughs> With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now, um, how much have you been paying attention to Arsenal's matches recently and getting disappointed when they haven't dropped points, especially after City have won earlier in the weekend? So as we head towards the business end of the season, it's not difficult to get invested in what our rivals are doing. And it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit. It was Pep Guardiola that got me thinking about how much I've been watching Arsenal this last few weeks and hoping that they drop points. Well, of course we take a look. We have to do our job, you take a look and see the two, and after they tell it to two, and after it's six minutes extra time, they score after. So, ah, really, it would be better, a draw. Yeah. That was in his pre-match press conference ahead of Saturday's win at Crystal Palace. He was asked if he watched Arsenal's victory over Bournemouth the previous weekend. City had won earlier in the day, and then Arsenal won 3-2, having been 2-0 down after an hour. Personally, I'm not somebody who usually tries to avoid our rivals' results. In fact, it's uh, quite the opposite, and I'm normally sitting down to watch their games and supporting whoever is up against them for 90 minutes like I'm that team's biggest fan. That's City fan Dan Burke. He's like me. It does depend who they're playing, though, and I tend to make a call on whether I'm going to watch a game based on the likelihood of our rivals slipping up. For example, I had no intention of watching Arsenal when they played Bournemouth um, the other week because I just assumed it would be an easy three points for Arsenal. But then when Bournemouth went 1-0 up after 10 seconds, I immediately switched the TV on, and it was only when Arsenal scored their... 98th minute winning goal that I've realised that I've just completely wasted my entire afternoon on that game. There's a saying in our WhatsApp group that goes something like this. Don't do it to yourself. What we mean is simple. Don't waste an afternoon getting your hopes up because they're obviously going to score. Last weekend I made a point of sitting down to watch Arsenal away at Fulham um, because I sensed there might be an upset on the cards, only to turn my TV off in disgust at half-time when they were 3-0 up. So, yeah, it changes game to game, really. 
It's quite annoying because after several seasons of watching Liverpool uh, every week, hoping they were going to slip up, only to be usually disappointed when they didn't. I thought we were we were getting a break this season from having to be emotionally invested in, in watching two games every weekend. No such luck. In fact, Guardiola made the same points before City played Palace. It was one of the biggest talents for Liverpool. Scored on the last minute. I live in the last three, four years when when we fought against them battle and battle many, many times. So in the previous season we was helpful as it well, what is next? This game you have to win and wait. Win and wait. And this is what uh, you have to to continue to do. But Guardiola says he doesn't let it get on top of him. I learned from my prior control the emotions control I can control. I cannot control anything what the opponents they do. Zero. So and after that Okay. I will get happy to drop uh, no one point, three points and lose zero five, yeah. But didn't happen, didn't happen. This situation isn't new, it's only the rival that's different. Over the course of the last few seasons, when we've been caught doing it to ourselves and hoping for dropped points, it was Liverpool that we were all watching. It was their undeserved wins or the regular goalkeeper errors or defensive mix-ups gifting them goals that gave birth to the don't-do-it-to-yourself mantra. But it does work the other way as well. It's the idea that you don't want to feel as though you blew it. That's Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. We did a special show with him last season looking at how a close title race brings pressure for the supporters. This was how he was feeling last March. When it is toe-to-toe like this, I find it hardest working out what it is I'm doing and how I am consuming Manchester City's football matches. Because I think the most dispiriting thing you can actually do in football is will for a negative result. The good thing when you will in a positive result is that when Liverpool attack, you feel the world of possibility. When you will in a negative result, like watching Manchester City build up a good passage of play makes you want to be sick into a bucket. <laughs> and that's, that, that's no way to live. <laughs> One of the games that made last season a tight run-in was City's nil-nil draw at Crystal Palace. Palace Monday night, I had an eye on what the scoreline was until about the hour mark, and then I chose to listen to it on the radio whilst doing some ironing. <laughs> that felt like a constructive use of time. Like, if the worst that happens at that stage happens, fine. Conor McNamara is a brilliant commentator anyway, and he understands the drama of things. And, and at least if it all goes wrong, I've got some ironing done. I've got, some, I've got a pile of ironing. Distraction techniques aren't just for fans, though. This is what Guardiola did after City beat Newcastle, while Arsenal were coming back against Bournemouth. You cannot imagine how good wine I drank after winning Newcastle. I was incredibly happy. I flew to Barcelona to see my wife and little daughter, and... So you could just get drunk, but with the number of games left, that's probably not a great idea. And while we might look at City as a little less relentless this season than in previous years, that isn't the feeling among this year's rivals. Here's Arsenal fan Michael Kashani when he was on the podcast ahead of the FA Cup tie in January. We look like a team who have an average age of 23, most of whom have never won the title before and know that they've got the quality to do it. Whereas City look like the team who've got, I don't know, the average age of, let's say, 29 who've won four out of five and then so that's suiting us better now because that's the momentum that's pushing us and sustaining us but you know when you as you mentioned if we have one of those hiccups um we have a couple of results that don't go our favor in the same week how we react to that is going to be it's going to be pivotal where you know if city have a couple of bad results as they have in the past few weeks 
they're probably just going to get back on the horse and start winning again. That's his feeling, despite City's longest winning run in the league this season so far being just three games. They could make it four next time out, but they'll need to beat Liverpool at the Etihad. That inconsistency isn't putting Arsenal fans at ease, though. When Skinner is going after Bart for skipping school and he goes right under the water and walks straight back out, <laughs> the non-giving-up school guy, that's how it feels having City on your tail. Um, <laughs> I was talking to Liverpool fans as well and just saying, like, fair play to you lot because I'd have gone a lot more mental doing this for five years rather than the one that we've had to do so far. Over the last few title races with Liverpool, one of the big discussions has been around the advantage of playing first or second. Go first and win, the pressure's on the other team. But go second after your rivals have dropped points and you can capitalise. While there might be pros and cons for each for the players, Dan Burke says there's only one he prefers as a fan. I think it's always worse when our rivals have played before City and won the game and then we need to go and win our game just to get back to the position that we were in before. Um, that's usually not a very satisfying way to win. Um, but the alternative is usually us winning and our rivals then matching that result too. So... The whole thing almost makes me yearn for the days when we didn't have to worry about title races and stuff like that and we were just happy to win a game every once in a while, to be honest. City go first again the next time they're in Premier League action, but the picture will have changed a little and City will have a game in hand. That's because Arsenal play Crystal Palace in the Premier League this weekend, while Burnley come to the Etihad in the FA Cup. But remember, if you're thinking of watching Arsenal's game on Sunday and trying to will a negative result to come their way, keep one thing in your mind. Don't do it to yourself. Maybe you could distract yourself with a pile of ironing or a bottle of wine instead. Hi, this is Kevin Hallock and you are listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast and we're very sorry about that. So that was a look at uh, distraction techniques for uh, opposition games. Um, Kieran, you're in the WhatsApp group that uh, I mentioned there. That's uh, that where we have the phrase, don't do it to yourself. Um, D-D-I-T-Y. Yeah. Um, how often have you been doing it to yourself this season with, uh, with Arsenal? <laughs> um, well, I wasn't really doing it to myself for a long while because... I was so worried about City's patchy form and I just we were never really getting going. Um, so... I was thinking as long as it's not United and as long as it's not Liverpool, I'll kind of be, you know, if if it's not going to be City, which for times earlier on, it didn't seem as if it was going to be. Um, I was just kind of content for Arsenal to kind of carry on. Um, and then City have started playing great again. It, it seems like it is actually more feasible. Um, and, and the Bournemouth game happened with Arsenal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... That was on the day of our Newcastle game, wasn't it? So yeah. I was on the train and trying to follow that, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I'm doing it to myself." Um, after we after Everton beat them and we beat them, and then they slipped up at Brentford as well, didn't they? Um, against Brentford, I don't know if it was home or away. Yeah, I can't um, remember. So I thought that was their. I thought that was a little bit of a patch for them that they weren't going to get out of. I just thought that was a sort of capitulation. So fair play to them. I mean, they have. They have come round and they've got the wheels back on again. But um, yeah, I am doing it to myself a lot at the moment. I was doing it to myself. I was thinking Fulham had a bit about them this year, but uh, similar to Dan Burke, but yeah, they were disgustingly bad at the weekend. Um, so yeah, no, I, I mean, I looked at Arsenal going, they've got Arteta, they've got Jesus, they've got Zinchenko. Um, they're not Liverpool, they're not United. Uh, I can cope with them winning, but now I'm like very much doing it to myself. Uh, every team 
has to beat them. Yeah. Joe, are you, um, when you watch Arsenal's games and kind of hope that they are going to drop points, uh, are you still thinking that it, it, like it's literally just on City to keep winning matches now? There's 11 games to go. Arsenal surely aren't going to win 11. So bring it on. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I think the Bournemouth result is the one that broke me with Arsenal, to be honest, with them going, you know, with being 2-0 down for a large chunk of the game and then 97th minute win, winning, coming back to win it 3-2. Um, I just feel like that is the that's the point where I was like, right, if if, if City don't win every single one of their games between now and the end of the season, uh, we've lost the league. So I feel like it's just one of those. We, we if we beat Arsenal in the sort of the return leg, that might give them the wobble needed for them to drop the remaining points. But honestly, I'm just very much in mentally. I've just sort of like checked out for that side of things. Just gone right. It's Arsenal's to lose. They're probably going to win every other game up until the point where they play against us. Um, and we just kind of, yeah, like exactly like you say, we've just got to win all of our games. and that's So I don't, you know, I, I, I watched the Fulham game at the weekend, but I, I didn't even make it to half-time. As soon as that first goal went in, I was done because I was just like, yeah, I know where this game's going. Um, I just kind of, I'll watch these Arsenal games and um, I don't get too invested in the idea of them doing something, up, like of any kind of upset happening. But as soon as Arsenal take the lead, Kind of like when Liverpool were the ones uh, who were who were competing with us for it. As soon as they take the lead, I just switch off because I'm just like, yeah, if, they, if they've taken the lead, they're, they're, they're probably going to win this, and I don't really want to watch that. Yeah, is it uh, like because Kieran mentioned Liverpool as well? Is it is it better with it being Arsenal than Liverpool? Because I I always got the sense that Liverpool, certainly in the last couple of run-ins that we had with them, there was like there was so many games where it'd be like, oh, they've had a 97th minute deflection. Mm. Like, yeah. like the, the sort of, oh, okay, the keeper's just chucked one in. Whereas I don't feel like Arsenal are getting that. They're just getting, like, they're just getting wins. They're just playing really well, yeah. It's, and that's, that's that sort of makes it a bit easier to swallow because they're just very good. And, like, obviously Liverpool were also very good. But it was, a, it, I think the most ardent scouser in the world would find it difficult to deny that they had a lot of luck in, in the seasons where they were neck and neck with us right to the end. And that made it a bit frustrating itself. But for me... I, I I don't know. I feel like I was a lot more emotionally invested in the idea of Liverpool failing because, like, obviously the the sort of the, their fans and like the, the the media noise that generally just surrounded it from Liverpool point of view. Obviously, there's a lot more Liverpool talking heads in the media and stuff like that, particularly when it comes to the um, like punditry and things like that. You know, having to listen to Jamie Carragher called Mo Salah a little dancer and all that stuff like that when he scores goals, like that that just makes Liverpool immediately so much more of like an adversarial thing than than, than United have been. Uh, and sorry, not United, Arsenal have been. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, if, if we lose in Liverpool, if we'd have lost the game in Liverpool and gained points on us or taken a bit of a lead ahead in the same way that Arsenal have now, I feel like I'd have to like actively avoid social media and like and like other parts of like the media for days because of like, obviously at the time it was a lot of Liverpool and their players are the best X position in the world and stuff like that. And I don't feel like that noise exists around Arsenal. And there's not that same like hyperbole that comes with them being good. I don't know if it's because the same media, the same media talking heads, if there's not as many of them there for Arsenal, or if it's just because the expectations that were set for Arsenal at the start of the season were kind of low enough and not, not people didn't expect that they were going to compete for a title this season. So them throwing it away from here still isn't a bad season for it, it. Obviously now it would feel like a bad season for Arsenal fans and maybe to most neutrals, but on the surface, it is not a bad season for them to finish second. So I feel like that, that same kind of noise that comes with Arsenal being our title challenges isn't really there. And obviously, you know, the fact that they've got 
our ex-assistant manager and Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko does make it a little bit. I can't really, I can't really begrudge those guys doing doing well. So if they were, to, if there was any team in the the other big six that would that would to win it, if it wasn't us, I'd say Arsenal's probably the least offensive of all those, to be honest. Yeah, um, Kieran, we watched the home game with Crystal Palace on Sunday. Um, no. It's uh, it's Rose's birthday and it's Mother's Day, so oh, how I've convenient! A... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I've got a packed schedule. I'll just flick on my uh, my little notifications app and um, st- I'll star that uh, event, and then the match will play out. Arsenal will go into the lead, and then we'll unstart and just yeah. <laughs> um, last year, I just it, it used to be that every time I starred an event, uh, starred the match that uh, Liverpool were playing in. They would score, and if I didn't, they would seem to not score, or they would seem to lose, or they would play up. So I remember last year when they were playing Spurs last May, just I couldn't put on my app, so I just kept asking Alexa, and it was horrible. I was like, Alexa, what's the latest score in the Liverpool game? They were going Liverpool are tied one one (laughs) (laughs) over and over for ninety minutes. Basically, it was horrible. Uh, amazing, right? But we've got a game before then. It's uh, it's Burnley in the FA Cup, um, and I want to start the Burnley preview uh, with this. You know the selection of the team. Why don't play Riyadh? Why don't play Phil? Why don't play Laporte? Why don't play that? You know, now like you won, I'm right. I lose, I'm wrong. So it's not about that. I have a lot of info that all of you, the fans including, don't have. Don't have. You have experience. I have experience uh, than players and 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 whatever. I have more info, my friends. Like the Twitter guys or like the older people have more info. I'm sorry, so that's why. So I'm sorry. I'm right today. I'm right. I'm stood me a light. I'm right. I don't know if it's the German in there that makes that perfect or not, but it's like that. That that is just Guardiola. You know, both barrels to uh, to the Twitter critics. Um, so, will either of you be criticizing the lineup when it comes out this week on Twitter, or you be, be keeping <laughs> I, yourselves I, quiet? I, I love this. I love this constant undercurrent that has been there with Pep Guardiola's management of Manchester City where where the where Twitter activity still really riles him up despite how good he is at football. Like he's, he's the greatest manager in the world, but yet it seems like it seems like half of his interpretation of how his own personal success is viewed comes almost entirely from Twitter. Like he has definitely got a burner somewhere out there that he is he is on yeah. City Twitter with. It's it, I've never been more convinced in my life. I'm just really nervous that he listens to this and goes, what are those wankers saying about me this week? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, no, I, I follow him. as Bernard account. It's at Julia Roberts fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other big narrative, though, here, Kieran, is uh, this weekend sees the return of Vincent Company to uh, the Etihad. Um, are you nervous about, in quotes, the story? The narrative? Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, always. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to have to turn my um, my Vincent Company portrait on my bookshelf around for uh, for ninety <laughs> minutes during that match. Um, is, this like, is this like when they have an affair in a film and they just turn the family photo? <laughs> yeah, <with them? laughs> exactly that. Yeah, he watches over me from the top shelf, and yeah, I'm going to have to turn him turn him away for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, an absolute bona fide city legend hero. It's brilliant to see how well he's doing with Burnley. Um, I'm sure at some point down the line, although when asked about it very recently, he was totally humble and said, like, they're one of the best teams in the world at the minute, and I'm not one of the best managers in the world. So, uh, but he will end up managing our club at some point. Um, so, of course, I'm very nervous about that at the weekend. Um, City under Pep and the FA Cup hasn't been 
just just as much of a priority or it just hasn't worked out as well as i would like it i i always want to be there or thereabouts uh in the in the cup um and it hasn't always fallen that way uh, rightly generally um, don't get knocked out by lower league sides under guardiola though well that's because we have avoided wigan for the past few seasons <laughs> i was gonna say yeah uh, wigan is <laughs> the outlier uh, no no you're absolutely right but Burnley don't feel like a lower league side. They feel like I mean, a Premier they're, League they're, side. They're pretty much as close to the Premier League in as waiting, they could be. Yeah, yeah. and then with as you t- as you say, the narrative of the story about company returning, um, you know, he he'll want to kind of as the protege, you know, show what he's worth. Um, he would love to t- return to his old stomping ground and and leave an impact on us. Um, and I'm sure he what, what is it the quarters? I'm sure he would love to get to a, a, an FA Cup semi final. Goodness me. Um, so is it the quarters? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh I am worried about the story, but but hopefully we've enough to we've enough to beat Burnley like uh, tr- traditionally we do. Yeah. Um there are three ex City players, only three ex City players uh, that have won at the Etihad as an opposition manager. Um do any of them spring to mind off the top off the top of your heads? Vieira. Yes. Yeah, Vieira. Uh, as Lampard. Mm. Lampard didn't. No, he uh, he only came with Everton and Chelsea, and uh, he lost one, drew one. Um, did Juve Rossler win? He did with Wigan, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm thinking it must be like Martin O'Neill or Mick. Oh Carter my God, Martin O'Neill! Yes. No way. I didn't think you were going to get that one, but he won with Villa in 2007. <laughs> Good Irish man, you see. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I was. I was really and like. Please don't think that I've cheated or Googled that in any way, but um, I really did get me thinking cap on about that. And um, I know you yeah. haven't. I know you haven't because I spent about an hour and a half last night trawling through the fixtures to see who yeah. was managers for different teams for uh, that when City have lost at the Etihad. So uh, I know I know it doesn't exist online. So, oh, right, uh, so yeah, yeah, I know you haven't Googled it. Okay, good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, honestly, I'm taken aback. I didn't expect anybody to uh, to, get, to get that last one. Um, uh, Joe, uh, when you look at Burnley this season, given uh, obviously the company connection and the way that, that they've been playing football, getting it down really kind of Guardiola-esque, something reminds me about Kevin Keegan's City side. You know, the Division 1 title winners from 2002. Yeah, this is where I, this is where I have to uh, hand in my uh, I'm a terrible City fan thing, and I've, I've I've never I didn't really get to watch much of that side because I didn't have oh, you're about, at the time. I was, you were about I was, nine I was or ten. something, weren't you? Yeah. yeah, I was nine when that season began. Yeah, but and I think the way that they play football is very, like you say, it's very Guardiola esque, and they're playing a very it's it's so strange to think of Burnley as like this team that I want to watch play football. Like when they've been on when they've been on Sky, like doing the odd Championship game on there. I thought, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's it's company. It's Burnley. Like I'm gonna watch, like you know, Harwood Bellis and stuff like that. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this team, and they're actually been entertaining to watch. And I'm just thinking, what does Sean Dice do to this lot? Like, what is it? Like, where where has this potential been hidden for the last however long it's been? But um, I think, yeah, I think it's that they're, they're a really entertaining side, and I've. I've I never thought I'd find myself saying this, but I'm actually quite glad that Burnley are coming up to the Premier League. Um, and they're, they're kind of the team that I was hoping when they finally went down that we'd, we'd not see that we'd not see again for quite some time. But um, yeah, companies um, companies managed to convert me. I'm, uh, I'm I'm all I'm all aboard the Burnley hype train now that um, now that Vinny's taken them back up. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what then, Kieran. I'll ask you. Reminds me of Kevin Keegan's Division One side. Does it? <laughs> <you>? <laughs> um, well. 
the kind of opposite to Joe. Um, I remember the Keegan side, but I haven't really been paying enough attention to Burnley this season. Um, <laughs> well, between the two of you, come on. Yeah, we should put our heads together. Um, yeah, no, I mean, great entertainers. Just they feel like a Premier League side in waiting. Um, they don't. It's it's one of those weird kind of like um, purgatory bits where you're like you're good, you're too good for the championship. Um, but you, you sort of still have to play it out and until you get to the Premier League and then the Premier League comes and it's just the harsh reality hits that uh you know it would have been nice to stay there and be and be winning all the time and, and be entertaining all the time because uh the Premier League really does hit differently, I think. Um but yeah, I mean it's just it's lovely that there are those city connections and if it if it is gonna remind you of any championship team, nice to be Keegan's, uh, because they were so entertaining and it was just such thrilling football. Um and yeah, when you when you kind of when you had such a difficult time in your early years supporting City, even though you were in a league below where you wanted to be, it was just it, it was great to be playing such exciting football and, and and winning all the time and just yeah at a canter. It was just yeah, it was great days. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Just quickly on the selection, Joe. Um, we touched on the defence before, Kyle Walker. We don't know if he's being punished or not, or if he could return for this one. Uh, the other player that we didn't mention in the centre-backs chat was um, Amrit Laporte, who has just kind of, I mean, almost dropped off the face of the earth. Um, possibly see those two, do you think? Yeah, so I, I sort of I sort of wrote out like a, a starting eleven, and I've got I've got uh, Lewis in the starting eleven actually instead of Walker. Um, I think that maybe he is being punished um, for a number of things, um, but I think Laporte has. Pro- I, I think Laporte starts. I put him in there because I think I think we all we've all seen the reports around around him and like the fact that he. It seems like it's pretty certain that he's he certainly believes that he's going to be on his way out. Um, and I think at that point you kind of go completely off Pep's radar once you've once you've made the decision personally to leave. Um, but I think the FA Cup is like one of the, this is one of those games where he's obviously a high quality enough player to play, and he, as long as his head hasn't absolutely completely gone, he can you know it, it's it's a game where you can start him and go look we are giving you some game time still between now and the end of the season without without putting him in you know without putting him in the Champions League knockout stages or without like putting him into a crucial Premier League game. Um, I think he'll probably. We we should we I, I would be happy to see Laporte start this anyway, but I can also totally understand if Guardiola just sacks him off because he's as as good as gone basically. Yeah, um, just at the other end of the pitch, Kieran. Uh, obviously, Mares and Foden didn't start against Leipzig; both came on. Um, at the meantime, De Bruyne had a wonderful game. You probably don't want to break that rhythm. Bernardo had a wonderful game you, again. You probably don't want to break that rhythm. It's a, it, it's possibly a bit of a balancing act, is it? It is, and also, is it an international break after this? Yeah. Right after, yeah. yeah. So maybe rhythm goes out the window a little bit because there won't be any anyway. Um, so just just play who you feel. Um, but it's kind of shite that, isn't it, actually, after a big after a big victory and one of the like season-defining performances um, that there's a cup game now against lower league opposition, although I know we've said they're, they're on their way up, um, in order to kind of mix and match a little bit and then a big break because the momentum is just building exactly right. Um, and we're at, a, at such a business end of the season. It would be it'd be nice to either get a rest or a run out for some of these players. But I mean, who knows what's going to happen on an international break? 
uh, what way they're going to come back and you know fingers crossed for no injuries touch wood yeah yeah right well let's get a view from the opposition i've been speaking to a burnley fan and podcaster in kevin robinson to get his thoughts on their season so far it's unreal obviously after a couple of difficult years in the premier league towards the end and then you get have wholesale changes with obviously the, the manager leaving last summer new owners coming in almost the entire playing squad departing Obviously, there's also the, the difficult way in which we're taking over with the financing that puts a lot of a lot of risk at the club. The question marks going into the season were not just huge, but but monumental. It could have been. It had all the ingredients for a, a real disaster. You've also got obviously we have Vincent Company coming in who has a phenomenal record as a player. Okay, records as a manager. There were some kind of sources in, in, in over in, in Belgium suggesting that he'd not done an amazing job at Anderlecht. He's obviously never managed in, in the UK. So again, another bit of an unknown there. So it could have gone awful. It could have been an absolute disaster. But it, it, in fact, over the what's actually happened, it's probably it, it's potentially going to be one of the greatest seasons in the, the history of the club. 80 points from 36 games in the championship so far. 13 points clear at the top. Um, I mean, there's no doubts now. You're, you're coming back up, aren't you? Oh, I mean, yeah, it, it's been clear for quite a while. You, you need to remember as well, actually, we, we had a pretty average start. Um, I think we won our first game, but I think we didn't win any of our next kind of four or five. Really, since the World Cup, we've been it's just been unstoppable. We won, uh, we've won pretty much every game since then. Obviously, we won the... Um, I think the 10 in a row, I think it was, scored in 20-odd games in a row. It's a strange feeling because, obviously, one of the, the big joys of football is, is scoring goals and winning matches, and that's it's amazing to, to watch that. At the same time, one of the other big joys of football is the jeopardy, the competition. In a weird way, that is less exciting this season because we just don't have it. For months now, it's been the case that we are pretty much a Premier League team. <laughs> Again, as a fan, it's a very different situation that, that I've certainly ever um, I've ever, ever experienced. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, Vincent Company. Uh, obviously, um, like he's no stranger to the, to anybody listening to this. Um, what's he done at Burnley that has, that has just that has kind of regenerated the place? Yeah, I live... Um, I lived just a couple of miles down the road from from Yetihad, so when he was announced, the first thing I did was just drive down and go and see his little statue there and things. And obviously, he's a absolute legend in Manchester as, as well as in Burnley now. And there's almost a infinite number of amazing things I can say about him. Just is, you know, even before any of the actual results came in, the, his demeanour and the way he speaks and the way he presents himself, which I'm sure is really familiar to, to City fans. It's just hugely professional, but also really intelligent. You can really see the, the understanding of what football is about. Like his first interview as a, as a Burnley manager, we talked about my initial goal is not about winning promotion. It's not about this because we can't control all, all of those things. But the one thing I want to do is get Burnley fans excited about coming to watch football that's a really big thing about his philosophy. What you can do is create an environment around the club on and off the pitch, uh, with the players you bring in, the way you play football, the way you respond to certain events, that is just exciting. Obviously, on top of that, the football's been been phenomenal. Again, I keep going back to the comparisons to what we've had before, but it's it's, it's a big thing to do because we had 10 years of, of Sean Dyche, of, and obviously the contrasts are just, are just so wild and... 
you know, I've I've got big respect for Sean Dyche. He did obviously an incredible job at Burnley, taking it from where he where we took over to where he he left us. But the the football after ten years of that is obviously not as not quite as exciting. Uh, whereas now we've got a really young team, a really dynamic team, attacking football, passing football, possession stats are like sixty seven percent every game. We've got players that are just you can see are having the time of their lives. It's just reinvigorated so much about the club and the town. I think we've we've sold out of season tickets for next season, which is just insane. I've never known that um, the club, even after our first promotion to the Premier League, our second promotion to the Premier League, in my, all the time I've been watching us, I've never known us sell out of season tickets and we've still got a fair chunk of this season to go through. And I think that alone tells you how excited he's got Burnley fans about football again. Yeah, and I mean, you, you've mentioned, you said earlier on about the number of changes that that had that the squad had to go through, and that it's now quite a young team. Um, if you are gonna, if you're gonna knock City out, who's who are the players that are gonna do it? Who's who's performing well for this for the for you this season? And I guess that's a hard question to ask because when you top of the league, thirteen points clear, like, the answer is obviously everybody's playing well. But who are the standout names so far? It is everybody, but um, I think one of the players of the season in the whole whole league this season is probably someone who flies under under the radar a little bit. But is is Josh Cullen, um, Ireland international, formerly uh, kind of West Ham and Anderlecht, and he's one of those players who you just don't notice. You can you can watch the whole match and you'll forget he was playing, but when he's not playing, you really see that difference. And he's he's that kind of CDM player. He's integral to every single thing that we do while still kind of going unnoticed while he does it. He controls our shape, he controls our pace, he's involved in pretty much every move we do going forward. But his role when we're playing teams like like City, where we're obviously not the better team, his responsibility of being able to still control that pace, still control the shape of the team, still control everything we do. Um, If if we're going to get anything out of this game, he's going to have to be um, at the heart of that. I mean, obviously, our attacking, our attacking players are just... We've got Nathan Teller um, on loan from Southampton, who plays on the, on the wing. He's got, like, 16 goals this season. He's incredibly fast, incredibly skillful. Got Anas Zorori on, on the other wing, who's a Morocco international, who's just one of those players who's got footwork that could just dazzle you and a, and a phenomenal delivery into the box. Weirdly, after a first half of the season where he was really out of touch and really looking like a... Well, I'm going to say like a... a a Sean Dice player in a Vincent Company team. Ashley Barnes is in phenomenal form at the moment and he's he's not scoring goals, but he's playing although he's the, the lone striker, he's playing really deep and he's just involved in again in most of the things we, we do well going forward. And probably the other key players are the two centre backs, Jordan Bayer and I can never pronounce his first name, but um Ekdal, our, our other central defender. They're, they're both, again, just real, really top class. And I think the, the biggest compliment you can give those two is that we've got Taylor Harwell-Bellis on loan from City, um, who's been out for a couple of months injured now. For me, the first half of the season, Harwell-Bellis was head and shoulders the best defender in, in the league. And the fact that he's been out for a couple of months and we're now at a point where he's probably going to struggle to get back into the team says all it needs to say about those two. Um yeah, I know. I've, I'm aware. I've mentioned pretty much the starting line there, but <laughs> I think it's it's it it shows the you've seen championship teams go up before, and you've got those two or three just real players who are like several levels above anyone else in the team. But it's really not the case in in this team. We really have got like 
you could name I think we could name our second eleven and still be in the top two, three, four. Yeah. I yeah, uh, I actually wanted to ask about Harwood Bellis, uh just because of obviously he's on loan from City. Uh generally when City players go out on loan, they don't tend to come back and make it into the first team. Um what what have you made of him at uh, at Burnley this season? It's just generally shocking to believe how how young he is. Um he plays with such such maturity, such a cool head. He's an incredible defender. He very rarely gets beat, either on the ground or in the air. He's really intelligent. He his grit on the ball is like I think first half of the season he was one of the most accurate players in the league for like those like long passes. He got a few a few assists um, himself, which again is is not something that centre backs often tend to do. It looks like he's got all the raw ingredients for not just a Premier League defender, but a, a top Premier League defender. I've, I'm hoping we can get him next season. I think the chances of, of signing him permanently are, are are pretty slim. I think, but given how well he's done for us this season in, in the championship, and the realistically the the likelihood of him getting those options at City, I think it'd be a great move for for Burnley and for him and for City. It feels like a great move all around if we were able to renew his, his loan next season, and that would be. I think everyone will be absolutely on the moon with that because he just, like I said, first half of the season until he got injured, for me, the the best defender in, in the in the league by by some distance. Yeah, I'm um, just looking through your results this season. Um, I'm actually I was actually taken aback. Only Watford, uh, Sheffield United, and Manchester United have beaten you this season. Um, like so, what what does City need to do if they're going to add the name to that list? Um, it's a very good question. We. Like I said, our strength is possession and really controlling the game. And that's something that we're able to do more in the Championship, like I said earlier, where it's something... Even when we played United, I think against United when they beat us, we were actually, for large periods, I thought, the better team. And I think that's probably because their style suited us. United are not a team that's going to come out and, and have that 67% of possession. We were able to have those possession levels against United. City is obviously going to be a very different type of game. Obviously, the comparisons between Burnley and City are always going to be obvious because of the, the, the company connection. But you look at some of the stats between not just the, the top-level stuff like possession and things like that, but just even the areas of the pitch we play in, the direction of play, all those things, the, the, the similarities between company football and, and Guardiola football are, are really, really, really clear. And actually, some of the teams where we've kind of not necessarily struggled, because we've not really struggled in any game, but are those games where we have just not been allowed as much control of the ball. So that's probably the one area where your style is, is really going to give us a big a big challenge. And I think that's it's going to be a really good test for us to see. Because obviously next season, we're not going to have as much possession as we do this season. I think earlier in the season, we were bullied at times. So that's potentially a thing. But I do think the second half of the season, we've got a lot better at that. We've got stronger physically and a bit better at dealing with that. And again, probably Ashley Barnes coming into the team probably helps with that. Because he himself is obviously a bit of a a bit of a bully at times so yeah it's a bit of a weak answer because it's just I don't know (laughs) I've just not got many teams to compare who have done well against to see what they did well Um, but yeah it's more just looking at what our strengths are I think if you can counter our strengths and not allow us that possession of the ball that's going to be the, the biggest thing yeah. Um well Kev, we got the charity back coming up a bit later on. Um let's have let's have a score prediction from you that we can uh, that we can put on that. Okay. Well we we've scored in almost every game this season. I think there's only maybe only two games I think we've not scored in. Either two or three. So I'm gonna go for 
go for some goals. Let's say I've got to, I've got to back my team out. So let's go for a three-two Burnley win. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Burnley fan Kevin Robinson. Um, charity bet time. We're on £705 for the charity bet so far for this season. The total is creeping up and we'd like to add to it again this weekend. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single and the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They help the Trussell Trust fight food poverty in Manchester and they'll be outside the Etihad ahead of the game with Burnley on Saturday accepting donations of both food and money. That's for Manchester Central Food Bank. Go and see them. They're under the bridge between the stadium and Asda and they'll be there until about 30 minutes before kickoff. Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. What are you going for for this one? Uh, I've gone uh, 3 0. Um, I'm, I'm thinking this clean sheet run is going to continue. Um, I'm hoping Alvarez is going to either come on or start and score one of the goals just to, to cap off the new contract he's just earned himself. But um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to go 3 0. 3 0, 13 to 2, and uh, 65 pounds if you're right. Kieran, what are you having? Well, I forgot about this clean sheet run, obviously. So um, I've gone for uh, four two, four two goals fest. Um, happy if it comes true because it's uh, forty five to one and uh, four hundred and fifty pounds if you're right. Uh, now we heard Kevin in the interview there say that he has to back his own team and that he thinks both teams are, are good for goals. So he's gone for City two, Burnley three. Um, and to be honest, if City get knocked out with this scoreline, I'm not really going to complain uh, because that's a hundred to one and a thousand pounds to the charity if he's right. Oh, so uh, wow. if, if City does, are going to go out, yeah, fingers crossed, it's that. Yeah. Does, does this mean I does this mean I hate charity because I still don't want that to happen anyway? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Now, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, now then, in a bit of a change to the way that we're finishing the show this week, we've decided to flip the audience questions around a little bit. Normally, we'd ask you to get in touch with your questions for the guests. But this week, you've been sending in your answers to our question. We asked on Twitter for a time when you were snubbed by your city hero. It's all because Pep Guardiola finished the post-Leipzig press conference by saying this. I'm going to tell you something. I have three idols in my life. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Julia Roberts. Okay? These are my three idols. So for obvious reasons, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods is not it, and Julia Roberts as well. So Julia Roberts years ago came to Manchester. Not in 1990, we said Alex Ferguson win the titles, titles, and titles, and titles. Came in the period like we were better than United these four or five years. Huh? And he went to visit Man United. He, she didn't come to see us. So that's why this is, even if even I win the Champions League, will not be compared for the fact that Julia always come to Manchester, they don't come to see us. So my idol. So that's why whatever happened, even I win the Champions League, will be compared for the disappointment I had. So that you have to know it. Yeah, so that's your, that's your payoff. If you've been waiting now for about, what, an hour, 20 minutes to find out what, what on earth the Julia Roberts stuff was about. So that's, that's what, what it was. the introduction was all yeah. about. <laughs> um, uh, so I want you two to get your thinking caps on for some rom-coms that uh, City players might star in. Uh, the best I've got is City Woman, by the way. But uh, that's, um, that's yeah, the, that deserves the groans it gets. Uh, so get thinking. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Kieran got in touch to say, uh, Spencer Pryor totally blanked me when I went out of my way to open a door for him. 
Um, Siggy MCFC says, Jeff Whitley told me to do one at Chester races. I had a good chat with his brother Jim in a Chester nightclub later that same night. I also threw the ball back to Neil Poynton at QPR away with the words, three points tonight, Dissa. And he replied, it's a cut match, dickhead. Harsh. Dino <laughs> um, says, uh, Nicholas and Elka blanked me in Manchester years ago. I was young, but it hurts. Plus his entourage were not very nice. Um, I love this one from Sean, uh, who said, uh, Paul Power lied to us about who he was to avoid talking to us. On the subway in Barcelona, Barcelona in 2014, four of us were muttering, here lads, is that is, is that Paul Power? That's Paul Power, you know. Uh, then he said, you lads are too young to know who Paul Power is. We said, it's you, isn't it? It's you, Paul, isn't it? Uh, but he replied, no, 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 no. Um, and I think this is the point where I mention Alfie Harland as well, because years before Erling Harland joined City, uh, I was past Alfie's number and I sent him a WhatsApp asking if he'd do an interview for the podcast. He didn't reply. Uh, and then when I was trying again for podcast interviews a, a year or two later, I sent a follow-up asking if he'd seen my last message and would he be up for an interview. By this time, there was some speculation around Erling joining City, but no deal had been done, though it like would turn out to be a few weeks away that they got the deal in principle. Uh, and he simply replied, hi, David. No, not really. And uh, left a, a, a nice... <laughs> A nice smiling emoji on the end of it. I don't know if a smiling emoji makes it worse or better. I don't know if that's yeah. like it. I, I don't know if it's like, you know, when your dad just sends you, uh, no thanks, with a thumbs up. I don't know if that's like the same sort of energy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So have we got any uh, any rom-coms from you two? Kieran, have you have you been have you had a chance to get your thinking cap on? Yeah. Um, I've got loads. Uh, ten things I hear about my new. Oh, God. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um... You've got mail. That's about the uh, Der Spiegel links. Oh, nice! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Sixteen candles featuring Yaya Toure on the birthday uh, episode. <laughs> uh, Clueless featuring Nicholas Otamendi and Eloquim Mangala. Yeah, good sense of back pairing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's just not that into you. That's about Isco. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Parent Trap, that's about David Mooney trying to get Alfie Inga Haaland on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was The Parent Trap a rom-com, though? It, well, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, I've got a feeling, this is this is absolutely wild, and I don't know why this memory's come back to me, but I've got a feeling that uh, I watched The Parent Trap as part of a junior blues meeting in the Odeon Cinema on Oxford Road in, like, oh, it must have been, what, 97 or so? 98? I don't know. Yeah. I watched The Parent Trap on a school trip uh, in a cinema in Blackpool um, and you were asked which film you prefer, either The Parent Trap or Rush Hour. Um, And I obviously said Rush Hour and then it turned (laughs) out that nobody in my year was old enough so we all had to go to The Parent Trap. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Joe, have you got any to uh, to chuck into the mix? I've got two and they're both terrible. Um, So I've got... um, Remember me, but me spell M double E because Ben Me used to play <laughs> yeah. for, the, uh, for the academy. Um, and the other one is um, Golden Glove, actually, which is actually about uh, how we all think Edison's not that great, but he somehow wins the Golden Glove every single year. <laughs> yeah, amazing. I mean, was yes. it, Karen? Did you come up with? Uh, did you message me Glove actually about Riyad Mahrez? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Speed Two. That's about Sam Lee's. Um, dodgy record when it comes to uh, speed awareness courses uh, now that's that's a reference if nobody knows uh, where it's from uh, ask sam about it and i'm sure he'll tell you um but that brings us to an end for this week's blue moon podcast thanks for listening i've had an absolute ball doing this one so uh, thanks yeah. as well to my guests joe butterfield yeah thank you very much it was very good i really enjoyed it and kieran murray thanks very much david 
Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show as City fan Adam Monk picks out his five choices for the games that made me. See you next week. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. You're there in the hotel lobby seeing them all and you sort of got to see the human side of it. It's like a lot of them were crying. Like I remember Gabby Jesus crying. I think Bernardo Silva was emotional. Like Ruben Diaz just looked like he was shell-shocked, really. Just like a bit of a funeral atmosphere, but very, you know, you could tell that like, especially with like the Catalans and Pep's team and Cheeky and that, you could tell very much like the work never stops with them. But it was just very insightful to see how like the players deal with defeat. And then I remember the morning after waking up and you go down for breakfast and like, I just remember like the coaching staff sort of just like giving everyone, like myself included, like massive like bear hugs and like patting me on the back and slapping me on the back as if to like pick me up. It's like... You know, I only do the tweets and film yeah, myself. I, like, I, I don't need I like, to be picked up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I felt down, but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Bernardo Silva at yeah. the end of the I'll day. Sort, so I'll like, sort myself out, lads. It's fine. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, but you could tell, like, it was sort of like that team spirit sense. You know, like because we still had a long way to go with Liverpool going toe to toe, and then we couldn't afford to drop any more points, could we? So it was sort of like, come on, like we have to put it behind us now. We physically have to put it behind us. It was kind of that sort of feeling. You can listen to more of that at Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs> <laughs>